0: And um, let's turn, if we would, to the book of Acts this morning, and we're going to pause our series in the, the life of David, and we're going to jump to Acts chapter number 16. And for the next uh, four weeks, we'll be looking in this chapter alone, and maybe and jumping ahead one a little bit further in the next chapter on the last week, but in chapter 16 and 17 for the next four weeks. If you found your place there, we're going to read a portion or this section of the scripture, verses 6 of chapter 16 down through verse number 10. And I would ask you to read with me as I read aloud. And they went through the region of Pergia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel. To them, Let's pray together. Father, we ask you that you would guide our steps this morning and our conversation. Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you would give us clarity of thought. Lord, I pray, Father, that you would do a work in the hearts of the people that are listening this morning. Lord, may we have um, Christ-like and Holy Spirit-driven courage and boldness to step out by faith. And to see what God could do. What I pray, Father, that you would guide our steps now as we walk through this conversation. In Jesus' precious name we ask it. Amen. One missionary of a generation, several generations ago now, said we should ask great things or expect great things of God and attempt great things for God. You ever wonder when... Stepping out in faith becomes foolishness? Or when foolishness, where is that line between that? I mean, can we believe God to do anything? Some of you are not sure, okay. Um, We can believe God can do anything, right? And yet, there seems to be almost a, how do you know what is the right thing to do? When do you step out in faith? When do you hold back? When do you, you put on the reserve and, well, that was a very wise decision, or that was a very bold decision, and both get credited with faith. So when am I being wise and when am I being bold? When am I being cowardly and when am I being arrogant? And that tension seems to, I don't know if it rests in your heart, but it rests in mine. I, I want to see great things done for God. I don't want to spend the rest of my life sitting back and thinking, man, I read about what God did years ago. I want to see God do it now. I want to see God do something where he changes the life of our young people that gets them focused on eternity, and God help us raise up young men and women to go into gospel ministry and to see uh, adults, their hearts change for gospel ministry, and we take our eyes off this world. I want to see all of that happen. I want to see it now, and yet I'm like, okay, so where, where is foolishness? Where is faith? How much money do we put into it? How far out over our skis do we lean? You know, When, when do we lean into this and make it happen, or when do we pull back? And these are the things I think that there's no real clear answer in Scripture that I'm going to say, well, here are the days on every day that starts with a T, you can lean in, all right? And the other days you have to be reserved. It's not the way it works. And, and it's not to say, well, every time you've got to just, just go, 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 go. I remember years ago we had a, a soul winning marathon, evangelistic marathon at our church, and I was just a teenage boy, I think I was probably about 14 or 15 years old, and the pastor said, here's what we're going to do, we're going to start on Friday morning, or Friday night, midnight on Friday, on Thursday night, Friday, first hour of Friday, and we're going to go from then all the way until Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, and we're going to have somebody somewhere in the city of Atlanta preaching the gospel, all hours of the night. Well, it sounded like fun to me to be up and, you know, and be up all hours of the night, right? And so I volunteered for all these late hour nights, and what I found out is the men who had some sense went home and went to sleep. And then the guy who drew the short and the straw got all the teenagers who wanted to be out late at night. And uh, how many of you know what a Waffle House is? All right. They're open all night long. It's a wonderful evangelistic hub right there, you know? Because there's nothing else for them to do at 2 o'clock in the morning. And so they will talk to you. Um, And they'll talk to you for a long time. And we would go into Waffle Houses and train stations and bus stations. And just see if we could start a conversation with somebody. And we would do that for hours on end. And I remember rushing home in a little three-hour window and trying to get a couple hours of sleep and then getting up and going back out again. And then we did it again and again. And finally, I get to Sunday morning. And I think between Friday and Sunday, I'd slept maybe four and a half hours somewhere in there, you know, and between school and everything else that had to be done. And I remember sitting in church on Sunday morning, getting ready for church to start. And I'm just like, this is amazing. This is amazing. Oh, wow. You know, I drink about 30 gallons of coffee as well, you know. And I'm just, oh, why aren't we doing this all the time? And I'm like, because you're about to kill yourself. That's why. And that lesson of risk and then also how do you go about, isn't the gospel urgent? And I would say, yes, the gospel is always urgent. But you and I do not need to be Frantic about getting the gospel to the world. God is moving his work forward. We get to be a part of that work as we go with boldness and urgency to get the gospel to the world. Now I can't think of anybody that is more risk-taking than the Apostle Paul. And we open the account here after the Jerusalem Council has taken place and Paul is now going back on his missionary journey again and continuing to preach the gospel and plant a brand new church which will eventually be the church of Philippi, which we get the book Philippians from. And so this is where Paul is going. Now, Paul doesn't know that's where he's going. And, and I want you to see what Paul is doing. First off, he's confirming the churches as he goes on his run here. And he's infer- encouraging them in doctrinal fidelity, and Christian charity, and adorning the gospel. And he's encouraging them that, yeah, we can have no comprom- compromise and we give no offense. So in other words, we want to stand boldly on the truth, but give no reason for people to take offense other than the position that we're standing on. And and this is what Paul is preaching to all the churches as he's going. And so as they walk through these churches, they come to a place here, and we find in verse number six, and he says, and they went through the regions of Pergia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Now, does that strike you as odd at all? I mean, Paul's like, all right, we're going to go into Asia and preach the gospel. And the Holy Spirit said, no, I don't want you to preach the gospel to them. What? Now, are we to infer by this that Asians can't be saved? No. But we are to infer by this, that it was not Paul's mission to go to Asia at that time. Then he says, okay, the Holy Spirit forbid us. And he said, in verse number seven, and when they went, they came from Mysia. they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. I don't know if that bothers you, but it bothers me a little bit, all right? These are two places. It's like, okay, we'll go there. And He's like, no, you can't go there. All right, well, we'll go here. No, you can't go there either. Where are we supposed to go? What do you have for us? And no doubt He looked at those places and thought man this is a great mission field there's a great need there they need the gospel and we could go in there and make an impact and man I could imagine Paul maybe strategizing with his men about the next missionary plan and how they were going to go in and man we're going we're to go down to the synagogue and we'll find one of those and we'll we'll meet some Jewish people hopefully have some converts and then we'll start a place of gathering on Sunday morning where we begin to teach the word and we'll plant a church through those group of people and you know what I'm thinking I think you're the next guy to stay here behind Timothy and you'll, you'll be the one to preach the gospel here and to kind of get this church plant going. And he's like, all right, when are we leaving to Bithynia? And they're gathered together, and the Holy Spirit says, no, you can't go. And so then they take all their plans, and they're like, man, tearing up their plans. Let me say this again. The Macedonian call comes, and we see two closed doors and one heavenly vision. Look what he says next, verse number 9. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. So Paul has this vision at night. God speaks to him through this vision, saying, I want you to go into Macedonia and help us. And this man is standing there with this vision in mind. Now in verse number 10, he said, when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding... That God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now it's interesting to me that Paul got the vision, but that wasn't the final word on it. They sat together and they discussed what Paul had seen. They prayed together and what was their conclusion? Their conclusion after having talked about this and prayed on this was that God had called us to go into Macedonia. This was not Paul just saying, I had a vision, you guys don't get a word on this, we're just going to go and preach it. No, Paul stands up and says, hey guys, last night I had a vision of a man in Macedonia saying, come over and help us. Do you think maybe this is God using uh, this to draw our attention? They begin to talk and they said, yes, we're in agreement that the Spirit has called us to go into Macedonia and to preach the gospel there. So two closed doors, one heavenly vision, and now they're journeying to Macedonia. Charles Ryrie said this, need... And this is so important. Need does not constitute a call. Now this is not easy for us. Because when we look around the need around the world, it's great everywhere we look, is it not? Everywhere I look, there is a need for gospel ministry. Every ministry that comes across my my, my screen, I look at it and I think, man, there's another email of another missionary that needs more money to go and do the work. And so God, every need... It doesn't constitute a call. And so there has to be some exercising of discernment of who we're going to partner with and where we're going to go and where we're going to lean in and when we're going to lean back. And this is not always an exact science, and that's why we have to stay connected to the Spirit of God as He leads us in times that we lean in and times that we lean back. Let me say this, logic alone is not the basis for a call either. We can't just sit back and say, well, you know what, it makes more sense to go here because that's an easier place to get to. Well, that doesn't work either. Because sometimes God may want us to go to a hard place. Sometimes God may just want to go to a door that seems closed to us humanly. You may, we may look at prospects and locations and logistics And we consider the prospects, we consider the location, we consider the logistics, yet God calls and God does what he will in spite of our strategy and our planning. And let me just say this morning, let's not superimpose our pragmatism over Scripture. Nowhere in Scripture are we promised this. If you do A and B, then this will be your result every time. How many of you understand that probably the best way be Financially dissol- solvent is to get a job and keep it. That's a good rule of thumb, right? How many of you know people that have had jobs and kept it have ended up in the poorhouse? Because it's not always A plus B equals C. But in God's plan, and how many of you know some people that were lazy got money? And Ecclesiastes talks about this, doesn't he? He's like, it's not fair. It's not fair. Life's not fair. But God gives the increase. Our job is to be faithful and obedient to what God calls us to do. And we can't stand back and say, well, here's what we do. If we give $150,000 this year to missions, then we're going to be able to start that printing press. We're going to be able to do this work over here. We'll be able to raise up these missionaries. We'll have 10 churches planted in five years. It doesn't work that way. But it doesn't mean that we don't start and we don't step out and say, here's what we're going to do, God, we're going to be faithful with A, and we're going to be faithful with B, and we're going to trust you with C. That God, you're going to do what you're going to do, and you're going to be faithful in those things, and we can trust God to do that. So we should not superimpose our pragmatism over Scripture, but let me say the other side of that, neither should we infer fatalism. And this is another mistake, what God's going to do, what God's going to do, so it doesn't matter what we do. Now here's the thing. God is in control and we can rest in that. But resting in that doesn't mean that we sit back in our armchair and watch TV. That's not what we're talking about. To rest in God means to follow God's purposes and plans obediently and trust that God is the one that will bring it to its end. It's doing what we are called to do. It's laboring in that. So we don't walk into fatalism and infer that we have no responsibility in these matters. Oh, well, I can't change anything anyway. That's never the call of a believer. It's never the call of a believer to infer first uh, that we can produce the outcomes or that we have nothing to do with the outcomes. But both of these things are held in tension as we walk through life that God's called us to be obedient and God gives the increase. So, this morning it is not required of stewards This is so encouraging to me. It's not required of stewards that they be clever. Aren't you glad of that? There are some clever people, and I have people that I work with that are very clever people. I am not one of those people. Um, I told you last Sunday, I am boring as the day is long. And if it wasn't for my wife, I would be far more boring. And I would like it, all right? I don't mind being boring. I just don't. I mean, I went to bars to no Federalist papers to read, all right? That's how boring I am, all right? It is not required of stewards that they be clever, that they be cunning, that they be strategic, that they necessarily be missional, but it's required of stewards that they be faithful. And here's what we can do. We can take the gifts of every person here, the clever, the strategic, the people that can see things and put them together and understand it. We can take all of those giftings together and everybody here can be faithful with their gifting. Everybody can be faithful. And so as we walk into this, I just want to make a few observations about their ministry this morning that I think apply to us this morning as well. The first thing I want you to see in this discussion, and literally a discussion this morning, is number one, this missions team had a bias for action. They had a bias for action. I, I kind of picture Paul, I don't know how you picture him when you read the New Testament, I picture Paul as a very wiry, wound up kind of guy that never needed caffeine. That's how I picture him. I picture him as a guy that was just like, let's go. Let's get this done now. What's the problem? How come we haven't got it done? You know, and at one point, if you go through the book of Acts, they're getting on a boat to take it around to the next place. And Paul says, forget the boat. I'll just walk. And he just walks. He walks to the next place. And I guess picture him as this wound up kind of guy that had a bias for action. Man, we just got to go. We got to preach. And Paul runs in. And he was the one of guy that was making excuses. And so when the scripture says the Holy Spirit um, forbade them to go into Asia, this is not Paul getting up going, oh, do I have to get up now? You know, this is not Paul at all. He's not laying in bed going, five more minutes, please. No, Paul's up and let's go. Can we go into Asia? And it's the Spirit of God resisting him. No, you can't go into Asia. He's pushing back. And here's the thing that we can trust in. God is able to stop our plans. Isn't that a good thing? How many of you have prayed prayers that you're glad God didn't answer? Man, yes. I thought, Lord, open that door. Please open that door. And God says, no, I'm not doing it. And it's his closed doors that have guided me to where you stand today. It isn't God good to lead in that way. God is able to close those doors. And so he's not sitting back making excuses, but he's leaning in here. He isn't walking around going, well, you know, there's a lion in the street. We can't work today. Proverbs talks about the slothful man with that attitude. Next, this group of men recognize the blessings of closed doors. They're thankful. God knows what he's doing when he closes a door. I think too often we can take the mentality that if we step out in faith somewhere and God closes a door, that somehow or another we've failed. Really, ultimately, it's not a failure for God to close a door. It's God's guidance that He closed the door. And so if we step out by faith and we say, man, we want to give $150,000 to World Missions and we only raise one hundred thirty dollars next year. Well, man, we failed. No, God closed the door and we'll use what God's given us. We'll go where God's given us. I talked to you last week, the deacons were praying and we're talking together right now about the possibility of maybe building something and and looking to expand the property here. And as we're talking about that, we step out in faith and something like that and God closes the door. Guess what? God's able to close the door. It's not a failure that God closed the door. That's God's grace that he guides us through closed doors. I, I don't know what it was that kept them from going in. In one place he said he was forbidden by the Holy Spirit to go and in the other place the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. I kind of get the idea this is something that is impressed upon their heart. We don't get a vision here in these two descriptions. Uh, We get an impression upon their heart. It could have been any number of things, a a, a political opposition, strong impression, a physical sickness. Any number of these things may have been the things that guided their steps. Now, I don't think it was fear of harm that closed the door for Paul. But trace through the book of Acts sometimes and find out what Paul does when his life is threatened. One time he gets in a basket and runs. The next time he goes down to the middle center of the town and confronts everybody and gets beaten half to death. And another time he gets thrown uh, out in the street and stoned to death. Another time they're like, hey, don't go to Jerusalem. You're going to get thrown in jail. He's like, nope, got to go to Jerusalem anyway. So Paul wasn't rushing into being beaten, but he wasn't running away from it either. It's like one moment you think, Paul, what is your deal, man? You're getting beaten to death. The next morning, why are you chickening it out? It wasn't. He was following the leading of the Spirit of God to take him where he wanted to go. And the question was not, is physical harm going to come? But is this where God's leading? And if God is leading, then we go. These men, not only this, but they considered the facts at hand. They look at what's going on, what's been said. Now, when you look at these men and all the years of Paul's ministry and all of the movings of Paul's ministry, we only see one time where God led Paul through a vision. Only once. So, the majority of time that Paul was leading in ministry, he was simply weighing the evidence, yielding to the Holy Spirit, and making the decision. And you, by the way, that's how we make decisions we look at the evidence. We yield to the Holy Spirit, and we make a decision. And if God shuts the door, then we go, hmm, guess God didn't want that. And we get up and go some other place, or we do some other thing. He considered the facts. You see, divine guidance is seldom recognized as supernatural when it's just often just the next step that needs to be taken. And isn't it much easier to look back in your life and see how God has divinely guided you than it is to consider if he's divinely guiding you right now? But let me, let me just say this, when we look back at our life and we think, man, look, look how God led us here, look how God brought us to this point, what it ought to do is give us great courage to know that in those moments back then of great anxiety, of what was going to happen and how's God going to solve this problem and where do we need to go, that when we were in that moment, God led faithfully. And he brought it about to his end. And guess what I think? In our turmoil at this time, God is able to take us to the next step as well. He's able to open that door and shine light on it. Years ago, we were candidating in a church in Alabama. And I had I had uh, left the youth pastorate in Pittsburgh. and was actually working with my dad for about 10 months. And every weekend we were preaching somewhere. And I went to this church in Alabama and to preach. And... It was just like, it was ideal. I mean, the church was picturesque. It looked like the old country church, you know what I'm talking about? Beautifully cared for. They had a little Christian school there at the church. They had a parsonage next door. They had a prophet's chamber for missionaries already built on the property. Uh, there's about 120 people that came on Sunday morning. I met with the deacons and the men that night. They didn't, they didn't have a deacon board. They just had a group of men that met with me. All the men gathered, and we talked and laughed and cut up for an hour, and I thought, man, this is where God has us. I remember going back to my room and just, just weeping over God's leading us to this place. This is what God's got for us. We're, we're good to go, man. This is where God's opening the door. They're going to vote the next Sunday. And the phone call came. I was sitting, I was in Waffle House, as a matter of fact. I was. I was in a Waffle House. And I jumped up, grabbed the phone, ran outside the Waffle House, and I'm standing there, you know, all smiles, all right, what's happening, you know, and and I remember the brother coming in, he said, well, brother, I just want you to know, I think you'd have been really good for our church. I'm like, "Uh uh-oh. And he goes, well, you know, we don't have a constitution, so we determined we needed 80% of vote if we're going to call you to pastor. You only got 78. And I'm like, recount, (laughs) you know? And man, I was so discouraged. I mean, I felt about that tall. I mean, I, I just grieved in my heart over the whole thing. I'm like, man, you know, you know, why have you forsaken me? And yet God in his providence guided our steps to where he guided them. You know, and I wouldn't change one step of God's guiding. If I'd gone there, we'd have never ended up in Chillicothe. I would not have met you people. By God's grace and his providence, he knows what doors to close and what doors to open. And we can boldly be biased to action and trust God to close the doors that need to be closed. I love this. Paul was in agreement with the community of believers. Now this is huge, church, is that we do this work. We do this together. We labor together as a church family to step out and do the work And I challenge us. divine guidance is often a strong impression upon the hearts of believers that is confirmed in the word of God by the people of God that we do the work together for the glory of God. Paul stepped out in faith. His motives were clear. His objectives were sound. His counsel was solid. And by faith, he believed that God would direct his course. Now this morning, opposition does not mean that God did not send us. Small results do not mean we have failed. God often in His plan goes backwards before He goes forward. So often we see that. And God does not always give direct fruit for direct labor. God has a purpose in all of it. And we can rest that God knows what He's doing. Now, when you consider this little town here of Philippi that they've come into. Remember... Come over into Macedonia and help us. And I don't want to split hairs here, but he saw a man saying that, right? He gets to Macedonia. He's looking around for several days. He finds no man. But what he does find is Lydia, a woman who was in a prayer meeting, who opened up her house, who began to finance the church plant and provide for the needs of the church and for the apostles. Walking through the city, he's still looking for a man, hasn't found one yet. What he finds is a demon-possessed girl who's chasing him around and boasting about what great things Paul's going to do, and Paul delivers her from the demon that had possessed her. And you know, if you found Paul a day or so later and asked him, hey, how's the church plant going? You'd been talking to him in the middle of a prison, with his back beaten and bloodied, his hands and feet in stocks, sitting in the prison cell. You're like, man, don't you wish God had opened the door to Asia right now? How's it feel to follow that heavenly vision and go into Macedonia? Painful at times. But when we find him, we find him accepted by wealthy Lydia. We find him mocked by satanic influences. We see him persecuted by selfish slave owners. We see him imprisoned and beaten by the magistrates. And then what do we see him doing at midnight? Praising God at midnight in the jail. Preaching to the jailer in his house. And at the end of this chapter, Paul and the church are politically leveraged in the church, in the city of Philippi, in an incredible way to launch this church and to see God do great things. And the amazing thing about this is all the above is a part of God's call and God's plan. God knew that the jailer was there, God knew that Lydia was there, God knew that the little lady with the demon possession was there and needed somebody to come and preach to her. The slave girl didn't shock God. God called out a church from Philippi. And what we see is him raising up the the, the church at Philippi. And this church raises up to be the most powerful missionary supporting church in the New Testament. That they are supporting and sending money to Paul and the work they're going on to. And Paul writes an entire letter the book of Philippians (coughs) to thank them for their missionary support and all this is because God said not there not there there <clears throat> i think god's saying shut up <clears throat> <clears throat> so as we walk forward, <clears throat> we do not need to boast in what we will do. We say this is what the Lord will do. If the, the Lord will. Make our plans, seek counsel, stay humble, and trust God. Let's pray together. Father. Thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for the sufficiency of your word. Lord, we ask you for what has been said today would be driven down into my heart to do a work in our hearts that only you can do. Father, as we walk into uncertain moments, give us the patience to seek your will and to trust rest in the closed doors and the courage to walk through the open doors. We'll praise you for what you're doing already. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Let's stand on our feet.